I don't know about all of you, but sometimes I kind of get lost in my own head. <laughs> and sometimes it would be like I'm, I'm sitting at home, I'm sitting in my office. Hopefully it's not when I'm driving, but sometimes it's when I'm driving. <laughs> and I'll, like, usually when it's driving, it's like going wrong and then I miss an intersection. And sometimes in Austin, you miss an intersection and it's 30 minutes to turn around <laughs> and get back. Um, if you've ever... Uh, had experience with small children, especially when they first see, like, see a TV for the first time in their, in their life, and they're like, what is this magical thing? <laughs> and then you try and interact with them, and so, for instance, there might be a small child named Dominic, that could be a name, and, and you'd be, Dominic, 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 and he's just, and then you're like, Dominic, and it's like, what? You know? <laughs> As if nothing... What's going on? But whenever you raise your voice, you want it to be about something that matters, right? You don't want to raise your voice on some inane thing, which reminds me of this old Mitch Hedberg joke. Mitch Hedberg was a comedian many years ago, and he said, you know, um, I'm a mumbler. He said, I'm a mumbler. I mumble a lot. And, and sometimes I'm talking to a friend, and I mumble it long, and I'll go, and he says, what? And so I go, he says, what? But it's really this inane, insignificant stuff. And then I say, that tree is far away. <laughs> and that was it. But you don't, you don't feel good about, about yelling <laughs> something that doesn't really matter. But what's important is this amazing thing that it's amazing to talk to another human being. Having a conversation is this really beautiful thing. You don't have to talk about really important things or really meaningful things for it to matter that much. Talking about important stuff really, let's be honest, is exhausting. It's exhausting only talking about the most essential things in life. It's so, it's so draining to open yourself up and to have that vulnerability with another person that you just want to talk about things that don't matter at all. You want to talk about, talk about the weather, talk about the Longhorns, talk about things that don't matter because the in, in fact of... I, do, I, I should say at at annual conference at the opening the opening worship service the uh, the gentleman who who preached was a was a friend of mine and he was a, he was at UT at the same time as I was and I was the only person who said hook 'em in the entire there were thirteen people there so I have to I have some bona fides not a ton I did say hook 'em when I was okay. But, but there's, there's a joy in talking to another human being. There's a joy uh, because when you talk to another person, you're acknowledging them as a person. And they are acknowledged when they return. They acknowledge you as a person. And there's a power in that. There's a value beyond the content of that speech. Friends, we're continuing today in our series on the book of Revelation. And as I mentioned last week, as we enter into this, we need to let go of a lot of preconceptions we have of what's going on in this book. There are a lot of powerful images, a lot of violent images, a lot of striking language that can overwhelm the rest of the book. In this reading for today, there are a few images of, of seven stars and seven lampstands, these symbols that have, have meaning, have a, had a lot of meaning whenever they were first written, but aren't the most essential part of the book. And sometimes those images and those symbols can overwhelm and confuse us about what is really going on here. As I mentioned last week, and want to continue, the book of Revelation is really about our identity. It's about who we are. What is the source of your identity? What is the source 
of who we are. As well, we are connecting the book of Revelation to the liturgy that we do together, the liturgy of even just the worship service. Liturgy means the work of the people. That's what we talk about when you, a gathering, when you walk in, a call to worship, when you go on. Liturgies happen in every church. Some of them write them down, like us, we're a little more liturgical. But even if you go to a very contemporary, very charismatic church, they still have a liturgy. There's still a certain number of songs that happen, a certain, there's a sermon. And it may not go exactly in that order, but it's going to be pretty similar week to week. That is the liturgy, but what we're doing here is connecting the book of Revelation to the liturgy of the Lord's Supper, to the liturgy of the table. This is the second Sunday of the month, and yet we're having communion. I, I told someone that I was going to pick up the bread, and like most people, I forgot that we were having communion today. So I did not... Thank, thank you, Skip, for picking up the bread. <laughs> it's, you know, a little change, but it's, it's important, and I think it's really, it's really helpful for us to understand the book of Revelation is a book of worship. As I mentioned last week, there are so many songs. There are much more songs in, in the book of Revelation than there are violent images or, or, or stark images. At the beginning of the communion service, what we'll do in a few minutes, the offici- officiant, that's me, I will say, the Lord be with you. And then you all, if you so desire, will say, and also, oh, good, awesome. <laughs> This, is, this goes back to the second century. This dialogue has been a part of worship. In the Methodist tradition, you can't have communion with yourself. I can't come up here and, and go through. I can't say, the Lord be with you, and then run around. And also with you. Like, this would be. <laughs> Liturgically, it's a very awkward thing to do. You need a, pe- a group of people. You need a church in order to do this. There has to be at least one other person present. And the, the celebrant, the officiant, stands for Jesus in a way, but also points to Jesus. This is what is so significant about being ordained in the church, is I am sent by the church to be in this space, in this mission field, in this church, to stand for Jesus in this space. But not just not to be Jesus, not to be the Savior, but to point to the Savior, to be a part of this dialogue between us and God. And in the practice of communion, we see that the life of faith is not this just talking at us from God. God is not just from on high giving us orders, telling us what to do and what not to do. It is, it is a conversation. God is talking with us. Faith is this amazing conversation between our Creator and us. And sometimes the life of faith is about the most important things imaginable. It is about life and death and suffering and beauty and love, and commitment, and all these wonderful, important things. And sometimes it is not. And sometimes the life of faith really is about traffic, and about dealing with traffic. It's about hangnails. It's about comfort phone calls that didn't get returned. It's about rude people at the supermarket. And that, that's about faith. That's how we respond to it. How are we to understand ourselves in this world when someone is being rude to us? That matters as much as our understanding of life and death and beauty and love. It is still beautiful when we talk about inane things. It is still beautiful when we understand our faith in connection to these aspects. The dialogue between John and Jesus we see here in the passage of Revelation is a lot like the greeting between us and Jesus in the communion service. It is a conversation that shapes what is going to follow. It is a conversation that shapes what it means to follow Jesus. 
It helps frame our understanding of the book of Revelation. You see, I started these past two weeks with this first chapter, with these first two, with these verses. That this is how we should understand the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation doesn't start with with hellfire and brimstone and all the, the symbols and the angels of death and all of these. It starts with this conversation between God and this apostle on an island in the Adriatic Sea. We also see again in this letter, as I mentioned last week, that Revelation is primarily a letter to certain places, to seven churches. That's seven. This is not seven. This is seven. (laughs) To seven churches. And I think I wanted to show, but I forgot last week, um, to show you a map of where these are. And so, of course, if you could show that map. And so these are the seven churches, and they're in Asia Minor. Some of them still have churches. A lot of them don't anymore. But it was, and so, and I'll show a closer look at Patmos. So Patmos is there. Um, and if the letter, so John would send the letter first to Ephesus, and it would go around and travel around, and they would go to the church, and then after the church had read it together, it would go to the next one. And this is, you know, oftentimes this part of Revelation is excised and ignored and missed over, unless you're, you know, you focus on like the the fancy stuff in the middle and the end and all the the swords and then the fire and that. And but really, it starts this way and it ends this way as a letter. This is a letter from a place to a place. It is a concrete object inspired by God. In itself, a letter is part of a dialogue. Letters are rarely one-way things. You write in response to something, or you write to initiate something. You write a thank you note, and it's because someone gave you a gift. You write a birthday card, it's because their birthday is happening. It's someone you care about in your life. You send a postcard, Because you're in an interesting place. There's a reason. There's something going on. The beginning of communion marks the reality of God speaking to us and with us. And this is so important. This is why this meal is so special. That God speaks to us and desires a response. That God is not satisfied just telling us what to do, but God desires relationship with us. God desires reciprocity with us. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift up your hearts. This back and forth shows us that we are not robots. We are not robots. That's very important. We're not machines. I can't have a dialogue with a robot. I'm not very good at computer programming, but I remember enough that I could code a program that if I said the Lord be with you, it would say back and also with you. This would not be a church (laughs) if it did that. That would, not, that would not be a conversation going on. There's no agency there. The point of the liturgy and this greeting is not rote memorization. It's not so you can pass the Bible quiz with God when you get to heaven. It's not that, oh, you messed up on the liturgy once. That's a demerit. Like, that is not how the God of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is or looks at us. The point is that we each make a choice to participate in. We each make a choice to enter into dialogue with God. When I say the Lord be with you, you don't have to say anything at all. You don't have to respond. So often, so often in our life when God is speaking to us, we aren't paying attention anyway. This world desires our attention so much. But the life of faith is not a passive thing. We see that in these words. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It's not have your hearts lifted up. Lift up your hearts. 
The passage from Revelation includes these words, these powerful words that it's easy to skip over. Then I turned to hear the voice speaking to me. What is amazing about this is that God is speaking to John before he realizes it. God is speaking to us before we realize it. Before we are aware of God's existence in our life, God is reaching out to us, seeking us to turn. That is what conversion is. Conversion is turning around. Metanoia means to turn your life around. You're going one way in your life. You're making these choices. You're, you're following through with these desires. And then you realize that they do not ultimately fulfill you. And you turn around. You're going one way because you think that's the only way you can go. That's the, think, the decision that you have to make. Or else you won't be who you think you are. And then God... You see that God was already reaching out to you and you've turned your life to be going the direction that God created you to be, to hear the voice that was reaching out to you. God has initiated a conversation with you. There's so many voices in this world hungry for our attention, hungry for us to turn to them. There's billions and billions of dollar industries seeking our attention, buying our attention. Advertising. That's, that's all they talk about is how can I buy someone's attention? I just want someone's attention for 90 seconds after a something on TV. It's amazing. It's amazing what they do. It's amazing to see, see the commercials when we go stay in a hotel and watch Cartoon Network for the first time. And the kids are just like, oh, what's this? This is amazing. And you see kids commercials and how they're selling cereal. And how they're, selling, how they're selling life insurance to children to talk to their parents about. <laughs> and it's, as the old saying goes, if you are not paying for something, you are not a customer. You are a product. You are a product. You are what is being bought and sold. But there is a voice. There is a voice from beyond our world. The voice of our creator who has initiated conversation with us. Who is speaking to us. A voice who's speaking to us like, like Samuel. Some of you remember in the first book of Samuel, Samuel was a young man who was this miracle child. And so his mom, Hannah, gave him to the temple to, to serve the temple because she was so thankful to have a child. And so Samuel is sleeping one night, and he hears a voice in the night. And it says, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up, and he runs to Eli. Eli is the old priest who's there. He's kind of going blind. He's lost a little bit. And he's like, he wakes up, sit. Eli, Eli, what do you need? And Eli's like, what are you doing? It's 3 a.m., go to sleep. I didn't call you. And so Samuel, good boy, goes back. He does it again, and here's the voice. Samuel, Samuel. And he goes, he goes back to Eli, and Eli, I'm sure, is a little crankier, because when you get woken up twice in a row, that's... <laughs> yes, if you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night, you understand what it feels like. It's not a wonderful sensation. Um, but then he goes back, and so Samuel's like, okay, was it you? And then a third time, Here's a voice. He hears his name being called. And this time, Eli gets the picture. He says, okay, I think something else is going on. You're not crazy. I think God is speaking to you. So when you hear your voice, Samuel, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is what God desires for us. God desires this conversation in freedom. This conversation of, of a response, of hearing the voice of God and not trying to shut it off because we're more interested in the little 
knickknacks in front of us. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is what God has for us so we can open our eyes to not only look to God, but to look at the world around us in a new and true way, to see where the true needs are, to see where God's heart is hurting, but to also see where the true amazing joys are, to see stories of transformed lives, of people who were lost but are now found. Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As one of my teachers said, for to be a Christian is to experience freedom in contingency. It is a freedom given and gained through submission to a Lord who is fully in his action on our behalf. That is, to die willingly on a cross that we might be free from the lies that threaten to consume us. Free from the lies that we're surrounded by. That can consume us. They can fill us with misinformation. They can fill us with ideas that are harmful and destructive. But something new has been revealed. And this changes things. Who we are in our distracted mind is not who we are in God. You are not limited by who you thought you were. You're not limited by where you are from. You are not limited by what language you speak. You are not limited by what you have done. None of that determines who you are. You are loved before you are anything else. You are forgiven despite anything else. This is the apocalypse. This is the revelation of John. That is what is revealed in this book. What is revealed is not that the world is going to end, that the stars are going to burn out. What is revealed is that you are loved before anything else. And you are loved after everything else. This is what Jesus means by being the Alpha and the Omega. I loved you in the beginning and created you. And I loved you in your end and stand with you and support you. You are forgiven no matter what you have done. You are loved by the God who created you, who desired to be with you, who wants to have conversation with you, and you don't lose out on that. Being loved by what you have done. Even though you may not have turned around to hear the voice of God before, you can do so now. God is still speaking to you. Saying these words, fear not, I am the living one. Fear not. Christ announces the finality of his revelation. Christ has won the victory, but the story is not over. We are a part of the story. We are included in the story of God. We are not asterisks or footnotes to this story. When you're, if you're making a movie, there's a lot of people are extras, and so you get hired on as extra. Maybe some of you have worked as extras before. I've been an extra before. And there's a category of extras, and the, there's the speaking roles and the non-speaking roles. And to have a speaking role means a giant jump in compensation. And so movie producers don't like a lot of speaking roles for extras. And so they want to limit that because they don't, they're all cheap because they're producers. And so <laughs> they all limit that. And so they want to have as many people as possible with as few speaking roles as possible. <laughs> but that's the opposite with God. God gives us all a speaking role. That's the point of the conversation. That's the point of the relationship. God desires to hear you. What you have to say matters. And the whole history of the world and the history of creation and the history of redemption You matter to God. You are a beloved child of God. 
with a future that is amazing. The Lord be with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.